And a hello, friends, once again from the international headquarters of Swing Thoughts, the award-winning golf, psych, mental performance podcast. Welcome once again to another episode brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, and uh, of course, Clublink. Never been a better time to join this organization. Tim O'Connor is the mental performance coach at Glen Abbey. Howard Glassman, the self-proclaimed golf spiritual leader. Both of us checking in for another week of uh, mental chaos. Yeah, I, I think it's moved beyond self-proclaimed. I think I think the universe is acclaiming you. So you... <laughs> okay, I'll go with that. Universally acclaimed as golf spiritual leader. Um, they didn't Tim, put it to a vote. It was just acclaimed. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh Tim O'Connor is uh, available for uh, birthday parties and bar mitzvahs. He will, uh, if your children, you know, they want some mental coach and and uh, balloon animals. And a clown. <laughs> yeah, they need a clown. No, I'll be yeah. the clown. That's what we should do. We should go to kids' birthday parties. I'll get the clown suit on, and you take a, you, you do a little speech, and then at the end, both of us, uh, you know, make uh, balloon animals for the children. Tim is available at uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, the the latest edition of uh, The Feeling of Greatness, which, by the way, had a uh, few people chitting and chatting this week at the Ontario Senior Am. I ran, oh, into our, cool. I, I ran into a few guys who know that I know you, and they said, I hear Timmy's book came out or is out. And I said, yep. And when I went to the launch. You know who walked up to me is uh, that other guy, Tim, um, the guy that does the calligraphy, Tim... Oh, Mitch Cutchin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a big fan of yours, and he asked me if I uh, had seen the new book, and I highly recommended it. <laughs> yeah, Tim McCutcheon is, is uh, one of – he's one of those old-time golf pros. Uh, Tim McCutcheon, by the, it, folks, if you need to hire somebody to do your calligraphy for your scoreboard, he if you haven't gone digital, Tim McCutcheon. He's amazing. He's an artist. But uh, he was like a lot of guys – uh, of a certain age around Southern Ontario, we're good friends of Moe's, and uh, man, they got so many stories, and they just love that guy a bit. Well, it's funny. He asked me about uh, the book, and I said I was at the launch, and I told him who was there. You know, uh, Graves and Evershed and Mike. Uh, I always pr- mispronounce Mike's last name, but Monitz. Marks. Marks. Is it Marks? Marks. M A R T Z. Marts, That's right. So uh, he, of course, knows all those guys and was uh, passed on his best wishes. Um, this week, the uh, Canadian Open is on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Timmy hanging out at uh, Glen Abbey. Also, uh, I had a chance to play in another, you know, provincial level tournament and uh, I have some thoughts about that. But first, I thought, uh, like a lot of swing thought, you know, people, swing thoughters. Uh, I watched with interest at the goings-on at the Open Championship only a few days ago. We're recording the show for context, by the way, Friday, July 28th, so it's only a few days after. I can only say one of the greatest displays of mental toughness anybody oh, yeah. is ever going to see, but I would like to uh, let you have the first volley, my friend. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, for when, as a viewer, it was absolutely spectacular. It was just riveting TV. And um, I've actually, it's interesting, a bunch of people said, oh, he took too much time, he sabotaged Cooch by taking up 22 minutes. Oh, golly, you know, please save it. Uh, I thought that he did everything. He was a great example of what you can do when you know the rules. You know, that happened, you know, he hits the ball well to the right. Yeah, he, he did the normal Jordan Spieth thing and kind of reacted, but he collected himself and he did everything he needed to do. He was totally in the moment. He didn't get blown away by, you know, oh no, here we go again, you know, with memories of rinsing it at, uh, you know, 12 at Augusta a few years ago. Um, he just stayed so cool and, you know, figured it out, took the time he needed. And, um, you know, he, and it, and it worked out. And I think largely it was because he just, he just stayed in the moment and did what he, took care of business and uh and it worked out you know it's funny you mentioned a bunch of guys at the tournament this week too um you know the funny thing about playing senior 
amateur golf is I run into a bunch of people that I've known since I was, you know, a, a junior amateur. You know, there's guys I played with this week that, you know, I've been yeah. playing amateur golf against since I was in my 30s. And the, the atmosphere is a little more relaxed. Five decades. <laughs> That's right. It's like five decades ago. But the atmosphere is a little more more relaxed. Guys converse a little bit more than they do, say, at the mid-am level. And, oh, yeah. and everyone was talking about speed. And I'll tell you what, that 20-minute thing came up a bunch of times. And I can only tell you there was an experience with one of my playing competitors on in the second round at the senior am like two days ago where he hit his first or his second shot on a par five into some high, high cabbage near the green, hit a provisional into the same place. I, I, I forget the oh, fact wow. that I, I forget the fact that he really should have not hit three wood, three wood. And then he hit a third provisional left of the green. The point is we get up there. First of all, we have five minutes to look for the ball. And we take the entire five minutes to find his original one. Then a rules guy has to come over because we're trying to figure out if he is going to take a drop. Where is he going to take a drop? The short story is 15 minutes went by before he hit a shot. 15 minutes I waited while I had a 35-footer for Eagle. And 15 minutes was what we were behind for. We had to make up 15 minutes on our time par. And we just barely did. The fact is, that's some amateur nothing. So the, the idea that Spieth took 20 minutes, and by the way, you know who was coolest with it? Was Matt Kuchar. Yeah. Because he knows the rules, too. Yeah. So I just, I, I to me, that's sort of a footnote to the business. It's like he does, he wasn't, Jordan Spieth was not doing that to Matt Kuchar. It was just, as you said, way to know the rules and way to take the full kind of time to move all those people, figure out the, I mean, it was, it was just what it was. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to figure out where exactly where to move people. He wanted to. Uh, it wasn't like he like you know strategically delaying things. He was working with two. I would have to suggest the two top rules guy in Europe. <laughs> you know, and they're trying to figure this out. You know, what's on the line? Oh, the Open Championship. Yeah, it, it would make sense to take some time here, wouldn't it, and get this figured out? But yeah, and that aside, you're, you're right. It's but it, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, unprecedented, and it wasn't um, on purpose. Let me say something about Matt Kuchar, though. And, um, you know, when you're playing match play with somebody, you're always taught early on that you always expect your opponent, you always expect them to have success. If they have a 5-foot or a 10-foot putt to beat you or to tie you, you have to imagine they're going to make it. So that you're not, you know, you're not shocked when they do. It's just kind of this mindset of match play. Having said that, Matt Kuchar's on the green in two, and he's thinking that Jordan Spieth could make, he could be on his way to making a, a double or a triple or more. In fact, if Spieth's ball on his uh, third shot after he takes the drop, if it hits that cabbage, he's making seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because somewhere in the deep recesses of Matt Kuchar's brain. You have to think, even though we're all taught to expect the best, you have to think that he was thinking, gosh, you know, I might win this tournament. Part, right. I mean, that's not a, I mean, we all, we're, we're all human. And maybe he wouldn't dwell on that thought, but certainly somewhere in his ether there, that notion had to occur to him. He would, he would have to have been not to have thought about right. I could win I could win this and there's nothing wrong with thinking stuff like that or thinking you know I got you know I, I need to par in to break 90 for the first time there's nothing wrong with that but good point like how, you re- how do you respond to it you know and and uh, but cooch um, he just he did everything he needed to do he was one under for the rest of the round he made two birdies in a bogey and the bogey he made basically once things were over so he he didn't collapse no, he just ran into a buzzsaw, a, a Spethian buzzsaw that went five under in four holes after that amazing spectacle of of what he did in terms of figuring it out. That well, the, the best shot. Of, yeah, that was yeah. a great display of just resilience, being in the moment and everything for Spieth. That was incredible. To me, the, the shot that won it for him was the putt for bogey. And and the reason I say that is because that feeling of sinking oh, that yeah. ten or eight or twelve foot putt to not make double and go two behind, like that was that was incredibly 
courageous, but also as, you know, if you read about what uh, Michael Greller, who, you know, you get the sense that it really isn't, you know, sometimes people sort of raise an eyebrow and Spieth talks about we and the team, but he really feels that. And you could see that McC- um, McGreller, McGreller, I'm thinking of McCormick, his uh, swing coach, but uh, Greller, when, hungry. <laughs> when Greller said to him after he sank the putt, that's a momentum shift. He he was basically, you know, pointing that ship uh, in the in the proper direction and remind and, and you know and, and acknowledging to Spieth like okay, you know now we go and it's funny because one of the one of the tweets from his buddy Justin Thomas uh, after Spieth made I think the, either the the bogey putt or was it the the eagle putt but he tweeted now we go and it's a line from uh, uh, Gladiator. Oh, cool! And I love and that movie. and but the, just the way he the way it was like it was like okay now we go and it was like you made the bogey and so the game is on, but it was the fact that Greller sort of got him you know in the right frame of mind and you know listen y- y- that putty made for eagle and the birdies that that's just that's great, but it, you have to be what what I liked what you just said about whether your whether your personal best is is eighty five. And you're on your way to making it. You have to put yourself in the right frame of mind. And putting yourself in the right frame of mind is an acquired skill. Oh, absolutely. You got to get your reps in on that stuff. And that's why, you know, like we got Club C coming up at Blue Springs. There's going to be guys who have not played a tournament all year. And they're going to grind and work hard and practice for a couple of days before it. And shoot 110. <laughs> because they just don't have... They just don't have, they're just not tournament tough. You have to be, put yourself through that stuff. So like I said, there's nothing wrong with thinking it about that stuff, but it's actually, it's what you do and it's how you um, are able to respond to those thoughts and how you get yourself back to, you know, what you really need to do is, is and that take care of business and be in the present moment. I kind of think that what Greller did was the, uh, the momentous shift remark was kind of the caddy equivalent of the club twirl. You know when you hit a great shot and you just know you nailed it. Mm-hmm. And you just got to sink that in. I think that was sort of what Grover did with... Um, yeah, he put sort of a fine point on what just happened. Yeah. And that's what great caddies do. They kind of punctuate the moment. You know, they, they're kind of like caddies are like, you know, golf instructors, therapists, psychology coaches, you know, coffee getters, whatever. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he was just, you know, that was such a, yeah, it underscores your point about it. Uh, it's no exaggeration when Spieth uses we. Well, back to what you're saying about, you know, you know, it's okay to think and put yourself in the, in the right frame of mind. But what, I, what I'm trying to get to is one of the reasons that people go to see you or they listen to this show or, you know, any of the other, use any of the other tools that we've passed on is, is it by the time the club championship and our, our club sees are coming up in a couple of weeks, too, because the, the senior one is separate, and that was like a month ago. The reason that most people don't do well in the club championship or their, you know, inter club or whatever level of, you know, tournament play they play is because in their everyday play, they don't practice being in the moment and doing all the things that we talk about because it's just their everyday play and the level of caring is at, say, a, a certain point. But as Roger Maltby says... You know, it's an easy game until you care. But I would say the caveat is until you care a lot. And in your, in your Saturday and Sunday morning game, you care a little bit, but not to the level of, say, the club championship. Because now all of a sudden there's a bunch of people and there's a little bit of heightened atmosphere. And that's why, as you say, you know, come the club sees, we tend to kind of shoot a lot more than we normally do because the caring level's not familiar to us. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's, there's all kinds of like judgment we have about ourselves, concern how we're going to look, our, our score is going to be posted, you know, evaluate, evaluate, self-reference, self-reference, and that's just that's just you know the recipe for tight muscles and not releasing clubs and being so invested in outcome, and it's just a recipe for extremely bad golf. And I want to caution everyone that, you know, I'm not just saying that you should go see Tim because Tim's my dear friend and it would be good for Tim's business. I'm saying you should do it because it really is, you'll enjoy the game more, 
You'll understand yourself in the game better. And the weird irony of all of it is not focusing on outcome and, you know, maybe learning to live with a little less shame will actually give you better scores. Yeah, shame. Yeah, we don't want shame. But, that uh, you know, all the emotions are laid bare, you know, in golf. My gosh. I think most of the people, most the most emotional I think a lot of people get is when they drive home from the course and go, oh, crap, yet another, you know, expectations not met. You know, plans that didn't come to fruition, and they beat the crap out of themselves. Ugh, I know I've done it many times. Well, I can tell you, you, you and I sort of started golfing, I guess, just a couple of years ago. So you were really never there for but the together. You mean? Yeah, no, together. I should say it. Well, you were really yeah, never yeah. there for the Howard Glassman, you know, pre-golf spiritual leader vortex because. But I you know, can visualize him. Oh, and I've it, heard the stories. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the stories are legendary of throwing clubs and throwing fits and being not the best guy to play with and never being able to, you know, access any kind of, you know, uh, skill and always leaving the course, as you said, you know, no, because, I, you know, intellectually and intelligently, I knew what I was doing was not good for me. But because emotionally I was so immature, I couldn't get through it. I mean, occasionally I did, and I had some good tournament results as a younger person, but the, I didn't have any resilience. And what I, why I recommend, whether it's, you know, Tim or somebody in your local area, if you're listening to us across the country, or even just in, you know, reading some of the stuff that we recommend or looking up Carl Morris or Shoemaker. Yeah. The reason I say that is because for years I used to read these things. And one of the reasons you and I became friends is we both had an interest in this subject. But I had just never really put it into practice the way I have, you know, as a sort of an older man. Yeah, well, part of, part of it I would say is is uh you've matured you know <laughs> not just you but um like the reason that a lot of like senior players you have way way more fun when you get older playing golf i think it's the same when you go go from playing like say rep hockey to pickup hockey you just have more fun yeah for sure older. and like i was playing uh in the last couple of weeks i played with some younger guys like college age guys and oh i take it so seriously and they grumble and why and they don't they don't get that no one cares. But I think it's just natural. There's a natural maturing process. But like a guy like Jordan Spieth, I mean, he's he's so grounded and wise beyond his years. He's only mm -hmm. 24. Um, but to really excel at this game, no matter what age you are, there's a perspective you need to take that it re the golf you play is not reflective of your value as a human being. And, you know, your identity is not wrapped up in whether you're a, uh, a 5, a 15, or a 25 handicapper. You are who you are. You know, they but, said something but, about, they talk about Spieth's golf uh, IQ. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you there. No, but I, I want to say, when, when they talk about his golf IQ, a lot of people think they're referring to the fact that he knows how to get himself around a golf course. But what it is, it's really what you said. The reason he he's doing so well, because at 21, 2, 3, and 4, he has figured out what you just said. Listen, in, in his post-round interview, he talked about where golf was in his priority list, and it was three. Yeah. It was three. Absolutely. It was one family, two faith, three golf, and he said, one day when I have my own family, it'll be four. So even though, you know, and he talked, he admitted that, you know, during that chaos of the drop on 13, he admitted that. He had some thoughts of what happened at Augusta. He had those thoughts, but he, as you just made a great point earlier, he had the thoughts. We all do. But he went, okay, that's a thought, but that can't help me now. Now, here I am in the present tense. I'm right here now. And as we talked yeah. about on a million shows, you know, your body can only be in the now. Your mind can be everywhere else, but you, if you can connect as you so articulately say from time to time, if you can connect with breath to where you are, it gives you a chance. Yeah, when you're exactly when you're in the present moment. But also, very cool what you said about Spieth being, like, he's so grounded. You know, and when he talks about family, like, he's more concerned about his sister, who's, you know, mentally challenged. Their whole family revolved around their sister. So... 
you know, rinsing it on 12 at Augusta, yeah, that hurts. He's a competitor. But is it the most important thing? No. So he's not getting the emotional charge that if golf was absolutely everything, wow, the, the, the emotions would be running through him like lightning you know, through your body. And that's where we struggle in golf is when we have those emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. And so someone who's more grounded like Spieth or, you know, like say a more mature player, you know, it hits a bad shot. It's just a bad shot. Well, it's funny. It. It's funny you talk about the the senior guys. You know, were supposedly a little bit more grounded, a little bit more mature. Um, we're closer to death, so you know, <clears throat> we've we've come to grips with what's really important. And you know, it's yeah, funny. Yeah. I I played the first two days uh, this week uh, with this with this guy, and and there, you know, I rarely have. A bad, you know, grouping. Because, you know, golfers tend to be a certain type of, of people, and especially tournament players. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't have the most pleasant experience with a playing partner. And even that, I didn't let be a distraction. I just noticed it. Because of the work you and I do, and because of the conversations we have, I noticed this guy's behavior, but I didn't let it affect me. I just was like, hmm. I mean, old Howard would have been like, oh, this guy's a dick and blah, blah, blah. But I just went, oh, this guy's an interesting character because he was so self-focused and he was so, oh, yeah, yeah, such yeah. a whiner and he was playing great. Like, I'm going to tell you, you, you know, I'm, I mean, if you really wanted to investigate, you can go, you know, check out who I was, I was uh, paired with. But my, I'm going to tell you a couple things that he, you know, like, he was like one of those people, like when you miss an eight-foot putt for birdie, you know, it's like you kind of go, hey, that's cool. I had a putt for birdie, and uh, now I, I made a nice soft par. But this guy continually is like, oh, I can't sink anything, and nothing's going in. Meanwhile, on the second day, and I'm just, by the way, I'll get to my story in a minute, but just so you guys know, the, the little teaser is it was chaos for me. And I'll tell you why later, but it was. I, was. I was scraping it around. I was trying to get everything out of my round, and, you know, at one point on the second day, I four-putted four putted the 11th hole i think i four putted it tournament where's the tournament at cedar bray and so it was it's a it was a a par three and i made a five on it after having a 40 foot putt that i didn't realize was was downhill in fact (laughs) after it went after it went 30 feet past the hole i was like wow I had no idea that was downhill. Anyway, I four-putted, and as we're riding to the 12th tee, he's like even for the day. I'm seven over at this point. He's even or one over for the day, and he's like, oh, man, I can't buy a putt. That's the fifth time I've lipped up, and he had like a 10-footer for booty. Lipped up, blah, 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 and he's going on and on, and all I said was, I was so funny, because I waited till he finished, and I went, you know, I just four-putted, right? <laughs> and he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I just told me everything. Like, he, he was just so dumb and so, such a self-absorbed whiner. He just didn't, he didn't realize that I had just four-whacked the green for my th- second double of the day. And by the way, spoiler alert, about to make another double. And this guy, all he could tell me was how many birdie putts he missed. In fact, at one point in this wine fest, he said to me, you know, you got to make some birdies, you know, to make up for the bogeys. I had just made double and four putted the green. And he was telling me that. So you remember our, our conversation with Judson Brewer, uh, the, 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 uh, the Yale uh, psycho, uh, psychiatrist. He's written, written the book Craving Mind. And he took us through that whole thing, contracted versus expand, expanded. That guy was the definition of contracted. You yeah. know, everything is internal. Everything is he's self-referencing. You can just tell in his mind he's just going through this death spiral of "oh crap, this isn't working," and uh, that generally doesn't work out, you know, too well. Whereas if he was kind of in a more expanded state, be able to see beyond himself, he'd be able to recognize, "Oh, my car partner just four putted, and perhaps he needs a little." You know, comforting. Or, or not not even comforting. By the way, I love that. Um, expans- expansive state versus contractive state. 
I will make the theme of today's golf spiritual uh, leader uh, essay. Forget, I don't, no, here's the thing. You know, you, you know, a guy like here's the thing. You're you're I, I always say this. You're a, you're an empath. You're empath. You're empathetic. So you might think I needed some comforting. I really didn't at the time. But a, an, a, an expansive person would acknowledge in their brain, like, wow, that dude just four putted. He's probably going to miss the cut because I'm a million over. So maybe I don't whine about the fact that I'm just missed another birdie putt and boohoo, I'm one over for the round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't really need. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you a cuddle and say, you know, no, no. I know what you're saying, but like you would, like it's, I know you're the kind of guy that would go, wow, my buddy just, uh, my cart partner just double bogeyed. Maybe I, uh, maybe I should say, hey, no problem. Like I'm the kind of person too. I'd go, hey, that was a drag, you know, because I, I, they could see that I, I just didn't hit. I just misread the putt so horribly wrong on a on a part of the green where it, it just it was the worst thing that could have. I mean, the worst decision yeah, I, I could have made. So the way you would react would be, be, oh wow, you know, that's happened to me, man. You know, I didn't know it was. You don't know it's downhill. Next thing you know, it's like a train. You'll get it back, you know. Yeah, or or swing. or at the very least, say here. nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, often that's the best thing. Yeah. The, ne- the By the way, can thing, I uh, can I tell you something weird? Like, what was your father's name? Dennis. 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 Yes. My dad's name was Lou. And one of the things Dennis and Lou taught us, and this is the last thing about this dude, because I don't want to gossip. But my dad and I, my dad and Dennis taught me that, uh, you know, the, the way you shake a person's hand communicates so much about you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, because, you know, what, you forget all the reasons. They overdo it. They underdo it. This guy's handshake <laughs> it was just the absolute worst I've ever felt. Like, it was... It wasn't even a handshake. It was like he just put his hand up. Like because he it was almost like he couldn't he was so contracted, he couldn't even like, couldn't even get out of his own stupid self to shake a person's hand correctly. So I see him yesterday, and my yesterday round was the best round I'd had all week. And uh, I see him like hey bud, how'd it go? He goes, Oh well, blah 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 about his round. I go, Cool. Nice meeting you. Never said how are you today? Never said, Hey, I saw you had about I had one of the best rounds. I had one of the best rounds of the day yesterday. Nice. Um, not that it was that great a round, but it was, you know, it's a tough course and everyone's struggling. And I, I had a pretty good round. Never yeah, asked so me. Let's, so let's put it out there. So you made the cut. Congratulations. Made the well cut. Uh, finished and, uh, tied for 38th. So I've gone from yeah. 45th at the Mid-Am to 38th at the Duster Invitational, or as I call it, the Ear Hair Invitational. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but yeah. that's what I want to say about that guy. Like, you know, he went on and on about his round again and never said, so how was your day? And that's the problem with uh, that. And the thing is, we know those kind of golfers. Yeah, and those people who who you meet them, you know, at an office party or something, and they talk and talk, and do they ever ask a question about you? Holy nope. It's all about them. And you just go like, wow, I would not want to be you or have your life. <laughs> You know? Oh my God! So, um, what did you before I get to uh, the senior am? What did you were at the the Glen Abbey uh, Golf Course is hosting the Canadian Open this week, and uh, Timmy was uh, where? Where were you? There's a bunch of big guys, and Nicholas is in town because of RBC. Kucher, Kucher has to play for the third week in a row. I saw him at the Scottish. He played the British, and now he's here at Glen Abbey. He's got to be just beat. Yeah, know, did guys, he even did he even make the cut? Well, we don't know. It'll be at the end of today. Oh, that's right. Uh, I know he had some trouble yesterday. Yeah, I mean they're they're just tearing Glen Abbey apart. It's 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 no longer the beast that once no. it was uh, because these guys play the the bomb and gouge game. And I was actually parked behind. And one of the things that's very confusing is that they've completely rerouted the front nine. So yeah, like, they well they always do that though. Yeah, but I I don't know. Did, I I think they went a step further this year. I, I could be completely no, wrong. No, I think you are because they anyway. they always reroute it. Like, you know the the first hole that we normally play is a par five. I think there is their ninth hole of the day. Eighth. Eighth hole. That's right. It's eight, and then number two is nine. Yeah. So anyway, so on, my point was is that the um, they play the bob and gouge game now. So uh, when they used to play, you know, which is regularly number two now number nine during the open, they just take driver, and the guys are hitting it down into that little valley mm-hmm. down there, and then they're just bomb, they're just gouging a wedge towards the green. 
Whereas they used to play short, so it hit off fairway. No, you don't do that anymore. You just blast it as far as you can. And the greens were soft. It had rained. Um, I can't recall what the weather was like earlier in the week, but well, no, we had we had a little bit of rain, especially uh, it rained way. It rained a lot Wednesday night into Thursday morning. So when they played Thursday morning, it was chaos there. Oh, it was Dart City, man. I mm-hmm. was behind the uh, the traditional ninth green, whatever one it is, for the Open, and just. Not. These guys are just hitting it in there, one hopper, you know. And so, you know, the scores reflected that. I, I think my, there's a group at minus seven, and then, like, you're going way down. Like, to me, like, 80% of the leaderboard, and you're still at, like, minus two. No, well, you're right. I'm looking at the leaderboard now. Uh, Vijay Singh was 66 in the first round, and he is... Uh, five under for this round. What are they playing it as? A par 72? No, par 72. Really? I yep. thought 73. No, because oh, it's 73 it's for us. Because <clears throat> remember, remember right, they're playing what? one is a par uh, four. Yeah, but one of the nines is a par 37. So, no, it's 35-37. So the back nine is par 37. It's got the three par fives. Yep. So he's, um. Okay. so Singh is leading. But you're right. Everyone is, right now, as we record this at 11.41 in the morning time, Get this, 95 players, including Matt Kuchar, who shot 71 yesterday, are one under par. So, as you say, lots of... Adam Hadwin had a tough day yesterday. He was 75, but he's three under for the day. Uh, Looks like the cut's going to be minus one, minus two, something like that. Yeah, yeah. uh, One of the things that I I was um, cognizant about as I was watching, um, I was keeping in mind what what you say that I think Paul Henrik passed on to you is that when when it's your turn, take your turn. Mm-hmm. Meaning take takes your time. So what's interesting to me in watching them uh, is that for full shots, they're, they're, most of them uh, are fairly brisk. Mm-hmm. You know, they just get there. Uh, most of them don't even take a, don't take a practice swing. You just get up there, you know, iron shots, drivers, whatever, just give it a rip. Around the greens, they take their time. I concur. And, and they read the green from both sides, and particularly if they're, you know, chipping out of the rough or something. Um, you know, I watched Jeff Ogilvy uh, yesterday on nine. He must have taken ten little practice swings before he hit his little flopper, and he hit it really well. So I'm not saying slow play, but I, I was really uh, observing how they – made sure they took their turn so that they were ready. They had read the situation and that they had, uh, you know, they, as uh, Gabriel Wolf was saying um, a few weeks ago when we had her on, like, you know, play in a way that you feel a degree of freedom, but, you know, if you've got a delicate little shot, rehearsing it, getting some motor pattern, feeling it, it makes a ton of sense. So, Well, you know, it's funny, I... That was an observation I made yesterday. I follow, yeah, I, I uh, thought the same thing. I've all, you know, I told you, I follow those guys around at the Scottish Open and Fowler and Spieth and Stenson. Um, might, they might take some practice swings on the tee just to loosen up, but they basically, and the reason that I thought the same thing, I thought, wow, these guys are playing pretty quick until it's 100 yards and in. Um, the reason they're, they're able to sort of play in a fairly brisk manner is, A, it's Thursday, and that was pointed out to me, because I said that to my, the, my, the guy that I met, the uh, David Howell's uh, swing guy, or mental coach. I said, wow, they seem to be playing pretty quickly. So, well, it's Thursday, <laughs> number one. And number two, they're getting a bunch of information from their caddy. It's 167 playing 162. It's your stock nine iron. It's blah, blah, blah. So they can take that information in and hit it. But as you said, yeah. as they get to the green, the reason that Ogilvy rehearsed that that shot is because it's not a full shot. It's a shot that he's going to need to – and what he is, and this is the distinction, what he's doing is he's rehearsing the swing he needs for that shot. He's not taking right. practice swings to remember how to take a swing, which is what we a lot of us do, right? Right. He's rehearsing the shot, not his swing. Yeah, and he's really feeling, like to me, what they are doing, it's it's all feel, and they want to just like get that feel until they got it. So they've brushed the grass. They know how much resistance the grass is giving. You know, if they're hitting into the grain or something, it's all that feel so that just when it, when they get to hit the shot, in many ways, they've rehearsed it and they're just, in, in many ways, watching themselves do it. So what can I tell you? Um... I wasn't nervous this week. I felt excited to play. 
I got to be, you know, honest. I was really trending in the right way. My golf swing felt good. I'd had put in a lot of good uh, transfer practice. I'd been, you know, really playing a lot under pressure in my practice. And so I felt pretty comfortable. And I go to the first tee on Tuesday. And it's, uh, you know, I played the course the day before and shot. If I was keeping score, I shot nothing more than a couple over par. Hit a ton of greens, a ton of fairways. I got my yardages, and I made good notes. And so I get to the first tee, and it's a three-iron for me on a short par four downhill to a, you know, a pretty accessible green, and I chunk it. I hit a three-iron. Instead of about 210 in the air, I hit it about 160. Instead of having a <laughs> instead of having pitching wedge to the green or maybe even a gap wedge, I've got a five iron. And all I can tell you is <clears throat> it set it's sort of set this weird stage for me where I just couldn't find my golf swing. Mm-hmm. I I was hitting shots that were way out of character. I was chunking everything or I was pull hooking stuff and it was, I'll be honest with you, it was a little bit um, discombobulating. Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't mad. I was bewildered by it, and I was trying everything I could, and I was trying to stay in the present, and I was trying to figure out what was going on. But what happened was I internally was a little bit, well, first, I was again, I was kind of, kind of confused as to what was happening. But then I became kind of like, I just didn't know what to do, so... <clears throat> Like, I'll give you an example. 155 yard down, you know, downhill par three. Uh, It's a sort of easy, not a full eight iron for me. A little bit downhill downwind. I chunk it. It barely gets over a hazard. Just gets into a bunker, like 125 yards. I hit a crappy bunker shot out to 20 feet and make the putt for par. And that's kind of how I was scraping it around. Because I could tell early on that I didn't have my good stuff. But rather than try and figure out what was wrong with my golf swing, what I focused on was what's the best I can do today? Mm-hmm. I will say from a technical, physical thing, what I tend to do when I get maybe scared or nervous is I don't move my lower body as much. And oh, so, yeah, and, yeah, and that's, we've all, yeah. we've all had that feeling of sort of like, you're just making arm swings, and the more you make those arm swings, the worse you hit it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This, there's, there's no support for the club. It generally goes left or it goes back. Yeah. I did. That's it. I basically, now you describe pretty much the first 12 holes of the first day. I hit it fat or left. But what I did do is I kept looking at my, my, they gave us yardage books, and I made lots of notes in the practice round. I just kept looking at the, at the clubs I had chosen. That I was going to hit on those tees. So I had no confusion. Like I didn't all of a sudden go, well, I better hit driver. I'm four over. I just, well, this is a hole you were going to hit hybrid on. So, you know, hit your fat pulled hybrid and see what happens. Exactly. So, so the, can I ask you, can I, yeah. can I debrief with you as, as, yep. as your sometimes coach? Yep. Um, while this stuff was going on, you know, you've been really looking forward to this. You, you love to compete. You're in the senior am. You know, there's guys you know there, people are looking online. As this is going on, what's your emotional reaction? Is it like, is it like, oh crap, like anger? Or was it like sadness, grief? Or was it almost like curiosity? Um, it was only the middle part. I, I don't even know if it was curiosity, but I wasn't sad. I wasn't mad. I was just kind of curious as to how this was happening and what could I, what could I do? What was the, you know, I almost felt like, this is a weird thing I thought of last night. I kind of felt like a thief. Like, I was going to try and steal whatever scrap of score I could on every hole. That's so cool. That's so, so cool. I, I never that thought, like, why can't I hit a fairway, which I didn't really do very much. Why can't I hit a green, which I used to do a lot, you know, before this tournament. I'm a pretty much a fairways and greens kind of golfer. All I thought was, I'm under this tree. <laughs> What can I do to make a par from here or maybe a, that worst a bogey? Yeah, but it was not, oh, crap, here we go again. I suck. I wanted to do this. Uh, I'm angry. You know, all of that. It, was, it wasn't old Howard thinking, was it? Well, I got to tell you, it was, I felt, the only thing I will say in terms of self-consciousness was I kept thinking, these two guys must be wondering how I got into this tournament. 
because well there you go yeah, yeah. i mean that's cool they, they, i did i thought i thought these guys must be thinking who where did this dude come from and it's funny loafer. well and, and i'm and I'm, I'm here's the other thing again i i wasn't hitting drivers i had planned to hit three woods and three irons on a lot of the shorter par fours at one point um I blocked a three uh, three wood on this par four, like almost out of play. I found my ball, but the one guy, the 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 mopey guy, and the the guy that I'm talking about, the bad with the guy with the bad handshake, he goes, "I don't understand. How come you don't hit driver?" And then then I hit my provisional. Oh he my said God. that to me. He said, "Oh, you don't. I don't understand why you don't hit your driver." Then I hit my provisional, which I absolutely piped down the middle. And I said, "That's why I don't hit driver." Anyway, that's the point. Is I was in this chaos. But because I have practiced acceptance, I accepted what was happening. Now, if you don't, if you will indulge me later in this diatribe, I'll tell you something I learned this week that is that a, a, I this is a screed. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm cool I'm cool with stage one, which is acceptance. I hit a lot of bad shots, even the one I chunked off the very first tee, 160 yards. I went well. I guess I'm going to have a little bit longer club into the green, which I also blocked into some trees. Had to hit a, I had to hit a provisional on my second swing of the day, but I found my first ball, made a bogey, and moved on to the next hole. So on the first day after uh, 12 holes, I was eight over par. I uh, was just trying to do the best I could, and somehow or another, I made a birdie, and finished the last six holes one under to shoot 78. So, yeah, pretty good. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, what I have a sense is that rather than going to uh, a place of, you know, like, oh, crap, you know, this is happening to me, uh, I wish to hell it wasn't, um, you know, I'm not okay with this, that when you said you're practicing acceptance, I'm kind of, thinking a kind of way to frame it is is you're kind of like you know what i'm okay with this i mean i don't like it but what am i going to do about it so let's just deal with it which is way different than trying to hit a shot and going you know i hope to god this turns out okay you know and like because a shot doesn't define whether a shot doesn't define us it doesn't define success it's not a bad shot it's a good shot it's just a shot so i have a sense you were just Dealing with your shots and getting on with it. Well, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned about am I okay with what's going to happen? Because that, that's a little. Uh, it's funny you last on to that because I have a little bit of uh, the thing I learned after day two was something that I call the transcendent stage of pre-acceptance. But let me let me get to that in a second because you're absolutely oh, right. Wow, because we're, we're really into golf. Yeah. Stuff okay. Now. Here's the thing. <laughs> I I have practiced for some time, and a lot of the things we talk about on the show is. You hit a golf shot, it's, it happened, but can you accept it? And what I've learned, you know, from being a, from the worst guy I ever met to being a guy that's okay with whatever happens, believe me, I, I get mad. I'm not some angel. I just don't get angry. I go, I, I, when I hit a bad shot now, I'm like, oh, come on, Howard. I, but I don't, I'm not angry inside my heart. So No, exactly. So I, that's the first day I get off the golf course. But let me tell you quickly as a sidebar. You know, giving up is intoxicating. It's tempting. And one of the things that men don't like to talk about is this. If we, if we stop trying, if we give up, then in our minds we think, well, then we'll have an excuse for playing like shit. But it's a Absolutely. lie. It's a lie we tell ourselves. Because you know what it is, Tim? Because if we try and fail, then we think we'll feel like failures. But the truth is, and maybe this is part of that that work that you do in the um, Mankind Project, the truth is if we try and fail, it's the opposite. We feel good. Trying and failing actually gives you energy, but it also holds a possibility that something good could happen. Giving up robs us of that. And, and it makes us feel like shit. Oh, you haven't learned anything. You haven't learned anything. In many ways, it's, it's, self, well, it's self-defeating, but it's also about... How am I showing up? How am I, how am I being judged? Yeah, I shot 88 today, but you know what? I got really angry and... Uh, so I got an excuse for it. Exactly. You know, and what you're really saying is, or, you know, you know I really gave up today, you know, because I'm really way better than that. No one gives a crap. And you've just robbed yourself of an ability to learn 
and see what you've really got. You, you, you've given up, and that's just um, – that's a weak person. Uh, but you know what? I, 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 and I don't want. I don't want anyone to think that I that I haven't done that myself. I used. To, I'm going to tell you. I did that. I've done oh, that. Hell, I've, I've done it. I've done it so many times in tournament golf uh, over the years that I'm. It's a bit. I'm almost ashamed of myself. How many times I gave up? I told you the story of the first couple of years of the club championship at the national. I played the front nine. Tim, I played nine holes and went to my car. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I, that that's how gonna, bad I was. If you didn't bring it, bring that up, I was going to remind you of it. So I I went from a guy that f- honestly quit after nine holes to my goal one year was just to play eighteen the first day, no matter what I shot. So I've these are all little baby steps. So quickly, I'll tell you. Second day, that's all you can make. Yeah. Second day, I'm even worse. I, I'm I have I'm chunk puking all over myself. I mean, well, I went I went to the range. Senior am right. Yeah, this is second day of the senior am. I'm chunk puking all over myself. I throw in a at one point I throw in another. This is when I throw in the four putt. So I start the back nine. I I I, I, I scrape it around the front nine five over par. On the back nine, I start par double bogey double bogey. I'm on the thirteenth tee, and I'm thinking to myself, well, we have to wait. It's a par five. I'm thinking to myself. You know, I got to take my car into the shop. Uh, at least I'll have some time on Thursday. You know, no big deal. But I'm not. I'm not thinking like, oh, boo-hoo, poor me. I'm going well. You know, I'm nine over par for the day. Whatever. I, I'll just, you know, I got some. I'll have some fun on the way in. Maybe I can work out what's going on with my golf swing. And I and I I get to the front of this par five and three. I my ball kind of comes back off the green by about five or six feet. I am seventy feet from the pin. I'm not lying. I, I, I paced it off after. The pin's at the very back of the green, and I hit a chunk fat wedge to the front of the green, off the green. And then I putt it, and it goes in. <laughs> and I putt it, and it goes in. I think, well, that's cool. All right, there's a birdie. Go to the next hole, and I, I block something, and it, but it, it hits a tree and comes back into the rough so I can play it. I put it on the green. I make that putt. Now I've made birdie, birdie. I play the I play the whole after I start double bogey, double bogey par in the first three holes. I play the last six holes two under par to make the cut by one. Ooh. So, yeah, it, it's it's not like I'm such a great golfer. It's that keeping yourself present at least allows the possibility that a goofy thing like sinking a seventy foot putt. Can can happen because when it went in, I went to the next tee box and I said, "Now we go," because it gave ah, me it gave it. me just a little bit of a a glimmer of hope to go. Okay, buddy, let's see what happens now. And the last thing I want to tell you is Wednesday night I'm talking to my friend Tim Southcott, who is a very fine amateur golfer. He uh, was tied for 11th after the first two rounds. You know, kind of faded a little bit yesterday. Had a couple of bad holes. But he's a very fine golfer. He and I are talking about the day. And I got to tell you something he said to me. And I've, been, and I've been wondering about what this notion of pre-acceptance meant for a while. And he said to me, he described a shot. He said, I had a, a hundred and whatever yards in on the, on the ninth hole. And I had my eight iron out of a scruffy lie. And he said, all I said to myself was, I'm okay with whatever happens on this swing as long as I do my best. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, it could have gone in the water. It was a kind of lie where it could have shot, you know, it could have squirted out of there. But he said, all he said to himself was, you know what, Tim, take your best swing and, and be okay with whatever happens. And it just barely got on the green. But that little thing put a light bulb in my head because what I had been playing like the first two days was... I was okay hitting a bad shot, but before I hit a shot, I was worried about, was I going to chunk it? What if it went in the trees? What if I pull hooked it? So I wasn't okay with whatever happened. I was actually a little bit nervous, ironically enough, about what might happen. So I just hit bad shot after bad shot because I wasn't kind of just pre-accepting that whatever happened happened. I know it seems juvenile, but that thing... That notion was transcendent for me. It, that and that is fantastic. That that is great. Um, imagine how much pressure you take off yourself if you're able to stand over the ball, or as a stand-up comic, or someone giving a presentation, and you just go like, you know, whatever happens, I'm good with it. 
and I'm not going to be afraid of it. How much, how much more lighter you're going to be, how much more relaxed. If you can accept what's going to happen before it happens, and of course we, you know, you go with it, this is going to be good, this is going to be good, but I'll accept whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, that's just, that is great. That's great stuff, because it's one thing to say, you know, I'm going to hit the shot and accept it, but even before you hit the shot and you say, I can accept whatever happens, that just clears out so much clutter, thought, releases tension, and you can make a much freer swing when you can accept Well, I, I bet if you asked any of your clients, I, I tell you what, if you asked me and, and a lot of the guys that you work with, when we say things like, oh, I hit that shot fat or I came out of it or I decelled or any other excuse, it's just another way of saying, if we're really being honest, I was kind of scared on that one. Exactly. Oh, 100%, man. Yeah, I was talking with our friend Megan Chapman uh, last night. She's the uh, teaching professional at Georgian Bay Club, and, and she's right in line with a lot of the, uh, you know, our views of the game. And, and she says that's exactly it, even her level. She's a very high-level tournament player. And I said, how do you get to that, that point where you can stay present to a shot, especially when it's like to the final green? She says, oh, man, she says, that's, that's the one that's so hard to answer. <laughs> But she, she, we were talking this exact topic last night about being what she called, I think she made up the word, okayness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are well, we okay with the sh- whatever happens? We get to the first seat. You know, whatever happens today will happen. Well, and here's the thing, you know, when, when we are, is, and the thing is, we, I don't even think sometimes we realize that's what's happening to us. We, we are over a shot, whether it's with your Saturday morning group, or in my case, the second round of the Ontario Senior Amateur. You know, as you described, my scores are online. There's big print where my scores are shown after. There's lots of guys around. Yeah, I'd like to impress people. You know, I'm, I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm human. I want people to think I'm good. But what I've done over time now is I know in the present moment what serves me best. And what serves me is to not worry about that stuff and try and get up and down for bogey, which I've done over the course of a 54-hole tournament. I counted it up. More than a half a dozen times, I got up and down for a score worse than par. So if you, and I didn't know that before, but I also, the big realization for me, because on day three, after talking to Tim, and I talked to him this morning, I said, buddy, that helped me so much in the last round because all I thought of in the final round was, are you okay with where this ball might end up? Because obviously you can chip out and make putts and get up and down for bogey. So, so dude, just let the ship go. And on the first tee, you know, on the second day in the first tee, I was all ready to hit a great shot, and I pull-hooked it 50 yards left of where I was aiming under a tree. My first, my second shot of the the second day, I didn't have to hit a provisional, but I had to chip out from under a tree. So on day three, I say, okay, Howard, this is a uh, a dog leg right. You know, I got plenty of room to maybe hit a baby fade out there, and let's do that. And are you okay with wherever it goes? I said to myself, absolutely. And I took the hardest swing. I took a really hard, not a a fast one, not a not smooth one, but a hard one. And I, and I hit it. Now it didn't cut. It just stays. In fact, I may have pulled it about three or four yards, but rather than be 60 yards back, I was 125 from the green, got on the green, made a birdie. And all of a sudden life seemed different. Now, I also ran into a, an hour worth of rain yesterday where I was one under through four, and then for the next five holes, I went bogey, bogey, double bogey, bogey, bogey. But two of those bogeys were up and downs for bogeys, so I felt pretty good. Shot even par in the back nine, finished with a 76. Now, I figure, and oh, by the way, also had a four putt yesterday. I had two four putts in the tournament, but also still think I'm a great putter. Now, how? I don't know, because sometimes you four putt. But where, where I was before as a player was, oh, I four-putted. Why does golf hate me? Now I can't make anything. I'm like, you know, the golf course and I, I actually said that. You and me, golf course, we're cool because I must have sank 100 feet of bogey and par putts. Yeah. So, you know, my, my point is what, I, what I've taken away from it is the amount of, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. The amount of commitment or pre-acceptance that you can put into a golf shot, I think, and I haven't measured this, but my, my feeling is, is directly commiserate with how good a shot it turns out to be. 
So those rare moments when you stuff it in or you hit the shot you're really wanting to hit is a maybe an inadvertent full, fully committed to that shot. If you're a little bit short, a little bit long, a little bit out, a little bit thin, a little bit closed, all those things that happen are a direct result of how how much less free you're swinging than you could be. And that's why we all hit great shots on the range. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so um, so in talking with Megan last night, she quoted Mo Norman. And uh, and one of the things that a story that Mike Marks, uh, one of his buddies, related uh, to me was um, on this very topic. And basically what Mo talked about was was playing with an alert attitude of indifference mm-hmm. there's so much wisdom in that alert like awake so he's talking about about you know and and your attitude and everything and then indifference and so you know i'm indifferent which is certainly different than being uninterested mm-hmm. but i'm indifferent whether this shot uh lands on the green or misses whatever you know i'll just live with it and mike martz um tells the story of playing with mo at conestogo and a short par four, I think it's the ninth, whatever. And uh, his second shot from the fairway, he jars it. He thrusts his arms up in the air, and Mo decides he's going to go ahead, going to you know, be the te- great teacher at that moment. And he just says to Mike, to Mike, just a golf shot. Mm-hmm. Just a golf it's shot. just a golf so, shot. Yeah. So it's not, you know, suddenly it's not Nirvana. You know, and it's not, you know, when we slice one out of bounds, it's not a disaster. It's not Waterloo. It's just another golf shot. And when we can start being okay with whatever happens, it's just like when you take care of process, your scores take care of themselves. Well, here's the, the, here's the, the sort of secret is that I hit lots of bad shots for the first two days and I accepted them and, and, you know, did my chip outs and did my layups and tried to get the best score I could. And but I, I was sort of trying to steer it around and I was playing a little bit frightened. Well, the third day I just got up and, you know, I just took swings at everything. And lo and behold, I hit a lot less bad shots. And the bad shots I did hit, I was like, ooh man, I tried to hit that uh, little punch five iron around the tree. It didn't work out. And I'm in the trees. But that's cool because I could be in the trees anyway. And I've been in the trees before. And I, I got to tell you, it's like. It's that old thing about if you're playing golf shots, you have a chance. If you're playing golf swing, it's not as you may you may still make a good shot, but it's not as uh, I don't know liberating, freeing, whatever. You know, it's it's a different feeling, and that's why you know when I made that seventy foot putt, I didn't go crazy and start jumping around. All I went was like, hmm, that's interesting. Now I'm only three over par in the back nine. Okay, let's go. Exactly. Um, that's it. Anyway, so I've ended up finished, uh, like I said, tied for 38th. But more than that, it's like I always ask myself now, what can I learn from these rounds of golf? And when I, when I leave the golf course, both days after I'm, you know, I was so happy to make the cut. And, you know, when I finished that round, I was the third group in. So I literally waited nine hours to find out if that score would hold up. But I didn't care because I knew that I did the best I could. That two under for the last six was pretty big boy golf. And and by the way, if you'd see me play the first 12, you'd, th- you'd think there's no way this guy could make two pars in a row. Forget two birdies in a row. So for, And it's funny because, you know, my I looked at my statistics uh, on the GAO website. You know, I, I was top four in birdies made for the week. Like, I wasn't hacking it around. Just in between the birdies, I was making a million. But I still brought my attention. So when I had a chance to make birdie, I wasn't going, oh, well, this won't matter. I was like, hey, every shot that I can save here will help me. And I didn't know that before. I don't know. I didn't know what I was thinking before. All right, O'Connor. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, you can email him directly for a uh, consultation. A lot of my friends uh, work with Tim, and I can only tell you through anecdotal evidence that uh, they all play better. They all uh, benefit. Uh, just being around uh, O'Connor is a spiritual uh, awakening. As is being around Humble Howard, who you can listen to on the Humble and Fred show. Uh, all new Humble and Fred shows, by the way, on Monday, Sirius XM. Are they all profanity-free now? or No. Did you go back to the old way? Uh, well, you know, there's... Uh, it's not, it's not profanity free. It's uh, you know, it's profanity friendly. <laughs> oh, 
I like it, which is different. It's subtle, but I yeah, it's profanity friendly. Um, But I wish I wish I could tell you. I wrote a book once, right? I did write a book, but I was going to say I wish it's called the slime that men do. Uh, What I wanted, I wish I could, I wish I could tell you all the good, good moments I had. I literally must have said to myself a bunch of times. You know, just hang in there, pal. You know, like when you said uh, what Jordan's, we're talking about Jordan Spieth and having a good caddy and all that stuff. My buddy Henrik has a great way of putting it. It says, you know, there's two golfers. There's Howard one and there's Howard two. And Howard two is the guy that's got to be like, hey, buddy, hang in there. Or, you know, you you, got to be your own best caddy at times. Because, you know, I don't have Michael Greller and I don't have Tim O'Connor with me. All I have is myself and I, I I no longer say how crappy I am or why would you do that or hey you had a good round going and then you hit it in the bunker you know I just go well come on pal we get this up and down it's insane how I talk to myself now I love it I love it which is a lot different than your whiny pal who no one wants to play with yeah listen people firm up your handshake all right <laughs> Um, we uh, thanks for doing this this morning. I appreciate it. I uh, I sent out a note to Tim. I said, "Dude, I want to do swing thoughts before I forget all this stuff." Yeah, exactly. No, I'm glad. I'm glad we did. So it's a great day. I'm watching three kids on the academy course at Blue Springs right now from the lovely parking lot here, and man, they're having a riot. I'm just it's great. Um, just hang on a second. When don't go away after we uh, close off the show. This bro, uh, this program is baked fresh from the International Swing Thoughts uh, headquarters, the Humble and Fred Studios in Toronto. Uh, brought to you by TaylorMade. Tim and I are TaylorMade through the bag, everybody, and uh, recommend the uh, driver, of course, number one driver in golf. But I don't know. Have you, I, I got to tell you, uh, these golf balls. There's some voodoo going on. Those TP fives are ridiculous. I know you think you're going to miss him, Landon Booker. Nope, carries that extra five yards. Yeah, dude. Like, I'm going to say this. Well, I don't have the science to back it up, but three to five yards for sure, with your irons especially. And, of course, uh, our friends at Club Link. Uh, there's never been a better time. If uh, you join Blue Springs, you can play with Timmy. If you join Glen Karen, uh, we can hang out. Uh, so uh, give them a call. Thank you, my friends. O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Yeah. Way on down south